Hey everyone, John Clare here. Welcome to episode 28 of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. We hope you're all doing well and staying healthy. Today we're going to talk about a very exciting topic. It's known by many different terms, but we really think it's all about the future of investing. You may have heard the terms like ESG investing, socially responsible investing, green investing. It's all really the same thing. A term that came up on the podcast was actually informed investing. And it's all about investing in companies that meet certain screening criteria for how they impact our world, whether it be environmental, social, or governance, or all of the above. In essence, it's a way for investors to vote with their investments, investing their money in companies that are making progress in this world, and align their investing dollars with their personal values. It's more than capitalism, really. It's more like capitalism with a conscience. That's a phrase we use a lot around here. Today, we're lucky to have Margaret Leung and A.J. Gidwell with us from Nuveen, a subsidiary of TIAA, both experts in ESG, exchange-traded funds. Since we're still living in a COVID world, Margaret dialed in from L.A. and A.J. from Chicago. What would we ever do without Zoom? Also joining us today for his first podcast is our new portfolio analyst and ESG project manager, Jack O'Brien. If you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Check us out on Twitter or Instagram at EvoFiPodcast, or drop us a line at EvoFiPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here today is education and some fun. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. Now let's get to the podcast. Here's the EvoFi team talking with Margaret and AJ from Nuveen. Enjoy. Well, hey, I want to welcome everybody to the EvoFi podcast today. Today, we're going to be talking about the ABCs of ESG investing, and we're going to talk about what that means in a little while. Uh, we're lucky to have AJ Gedwill and Margaret Leung here with us from Nuveen. Um, welcome, gang. I appreciate your time today. Thanks. We're so happy to be here. Um, before we get started, why don't we, and we'll start with ladies first, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be in the ESG world uh, at Nuveen. Sure. Um, my background is maybe a little bit unexpected. Born and raised in California, went to school in Orange County and have a degree in psychology. Found my way into financial services through sales, um, a role that I didn't really know was an option, but really kind of aligned with my strengths. I thought that I was going to be a family therapist or something involved in our community. Um, didn't happen. So long story short, I go through this process, AIG08. Um, and I ended up in Nuveen, at Nuveen in 2015. And so the ESG wasn't something that I signed up to do, but it actually was really aligned with my interests, my values, and what I'm passionate about. That's, that's great. What about you, AJ? Yeah, uh, a similar, kind of an interesting start. I was, uh, I was actually a biomedical science major oh, wow. uh, starting off in college. Um, went to a couple of career fairs and, and quickly realized that something in the sales uh, department was more my speed. So uh, that's how I got into the, the financial realm. And 
actually after working at a couple of different financial services firms, um, as you guys know, throughout some different acquisitions, I moved around a couple of times and uh, came across Nuveen actually because of the ESG focus. Um, so I saw that the ETF lineup had a very primary uh, focus on ESG investing, and that was uh, one of my main draws. So um, Margaret hired me a little over a year ago and uh, been really enjoying helping out the team ever since. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're lucky to have both of you on the on the uh, the podcast today. And um, you know, as we talked about a little bit before we started recording, um, our day job uh, as Evo Advisors, we're getting ready to launch uh, an ESG program, and so we're super excited to be able to have you guys here um, as the the folks behind the Nuveen uh, products that we're going to be able to use to implement some of our client portfolios. Uh, now, having said that, I think I prepped you for. Um, for what we're going to do first. And you guys will have to divvy this up since now there's two of you. But we have something called the Evo 5, which is just a way to break the ice with our, our guests. And so there are five questions you can probably uh, see in front of you. So I'm going to let you guys figure out who does what. Um, it's always a little bit of fun to, to get started. So I'm going to start with number one. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Now, to be fair, you may have already answered this, but which one of you guys wants to take that? I, I could go for that. Um, something, yeah, so, something somewhat related, but it, it's funny. I have a, a buddy of mine who's a, a park ranger in northern Minnesota, always sending these amazing pictures of him fishing and hiking, and, and I, I would assume working at some point. So uh, just being outside, that looks like a, a, an unbelievable gig for a little while, at least something I'd love to try out. And where would that be? Anywhere in particular? Yeah, you know, I think somewhere here in the Midwest. Uh, just something that I'm used to, the four seasons and things like that is uh, something I really enjoy. So uh, I, I would I would say somewhere around here for sure. Right, Outside cool. of the city, at least. <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah, you really couldn't be a park ranger in Chicago. Well, I didn't want to well, say that. Park, I didn't want to, yeah. that's, that would sound a little ignorant. So I figured there's... There's this a big park on the way to O'Hare. Yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> Parking lot. No. Hey, all right, Margaret, what's your favorite word? My favorite word, I had to think about this, um, upgrade. And that is because of all the travel that I used <laughs> to do pre-COVID. I was 100 nights plus on the road in hotels, oh, 100,000 miles on airplanes, oh. and there were really no sweeter words to hear mm. than I was getting an upgrade. So that's my favorite word. <laughs> All the former road warriors are nodding their heads. Do you, do you miss it? Are you ready to get back out there? I, I, I miss it for pleasure. I mean, work is wonderful and we only have so much momentum of being able to draft off our, the, the seeds that we planted in our relationships. But every single day I'm Googling, where can Americans go? Um, I would just love to see something besides my wall. And yeah. my kitchen behind me every single day. So yeah, I miss that. <laughs> well, I've been told Richmond, Virginia, this time of year is beautiful. So when we when we get out of this, maybe maybe we actually can meet in person one day. So it'd be great to have you here. All right. So I'm going to go back to AJ on this one, since maybe we'll alternate. AJ, you can play hot potato and send it to Margaret if you want. But what would you do differently if you knew no one would judge you? Oh man! And I had uh, talked to my wife a little bit about this one too. Um, it was funny. The first thing that popped in my head, and it might be a little silly, but I was thinking, uh, you know, I might, I might dance a little bit more at weddings. You know, <laughs> <laughs> one of the most embarrassing situations. You're a brave man. Uh, <laughs> I don't do it enough, uh, but anyway, I, you know, that's that's the first thing that popped in my head. Maybe maybe Margaret has a more serious uh, answer than that, but that was that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> I like that's the first time. I, that's a good one. I met you, probably made your wife happy too. She's going to hold you to it. I, I know she will. <laughs> All 
All right. Well, uh, let me go back to Margaret here. Margaret, what's your happiest childhood memory and what makes it so special? My happiest childhood memory, and I think what's special is I just remember all the different senses around it. Um, I grew up on the other side of Malibu and there's this one memory of us going to the beach to go camping and we had this really old, well, it was new at the time, but like a 1984 minivan, like the first generation minivan. And we pulled all the seats out, which is highly illegal, and threw a mattress in it. And so that we were going to go camp at the beach. And I just knew that we were going to get to eat a lot of snacks. And so <laughs> I was very excited for all the camping snacks, which were corn nuts and beef jerky. And just to roll around in the back of that van with no seatbelt on. It's just, and the sun coming through the window and everything. It's just, I don't know, pure childhood bliss. It sounds very peaceful and what a great memory. How old were you? Probably like six. Okay. Yeah. No seatbelts at six. Back, remember the good old days when, you know, like my grand, I'd sit on the front seat of my grandfather's car and he'd just use his arm like as a seatbelt and nobody yeah. even asked about it. So. No, we call that the, the soccer man stop. <laughs> I'm going to have to borrow that. All right. So here's, here's, now I'm going to let you guys tag team on this one. So this one is the uh, name that tune. Uh, it's the theme of the podcast. And I have to be honest, I struggled with this one trying to find the right one. Uh, and Cecilia can attest, uh, who's a photographer, also one of our advisors behind us, that um, I had a couple other choices first. But this one was playing on the car when I pulled in this morning, and it was perfect. It's just what I was looking for. So, all right, so here I'm going to play about 10 seconds of a song and see if we can, uh, one of you guys can figure it out. Here we go. It's a little hard for me to hear. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you were you were probably in the back of that van without the seatbelts when that song came out. So, so my apologies, first of all, if the audio didn't come through and playing it through an iPhone, we'll actually put the actual song when we do production. Um, I would sing it for you, um, but then it would be recorded of me singing. Um, so, Margaret, could you make out anything from that? I feel it's not fair if you can't hear it, but I'm going to ask if you made out anything. Um, was it Love Shack? It kind of sounded like Fred from the B-52s, um, but no. It's a lot slower than Love Shack. They're an Australian band uh, back from what, probably the late 80s, maybe or, early or, 90s. Mid-80s. Mid yeah. 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 Okay. Sometimes we do this when we're working late. It's burning the midnight oil. Ever heard of midnight oil? Beds are burning. It's all about the future of our world and the things we can be doing to make things a little bit better. Well, and tied to ESG, it's also about uh, the Aboriginals in Australia. That and that plight. Okay, I didn't get that part, but nonetheless, very political. So. It was very apropos. To be fair to you all, most of our guests don't get the song, uh, and they can actually hear it. So. Um, we'll give you partial credit since uh, you couldn't hear the song. So, would, would that fill the S in the ESG then? Um, probably. Maybe. Yeah. Probably okay. the E yeah, too. So, yep. Yeah. Midnight Oil, Beds Are Burning. So, we'll put it on the podcast and you guys can listen to it and you'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that song. So, great too. Yeah, Anyhow. Right. All right. So, enough of the riffraff. Let's, let's get down to business. So, one thing we didn't talk about up front that I, I, it's very important is 
we talked about your paths to getting to Nuveen and to the ESG world at Nuveen, but can you talk a little bit about who Nuveen is and and the affiliation with TIAA and just at a very high level, uh, the company that you, you represent? Sure, I'll take that. So Nuveen started in Chicago, Illinois in 1898 by a man named John Nuveen. Um, he was involved in the community, and they started out their business with actually underwriting municipal bonds, so helping fund projects and works in communities. Their very first bond was to go up to Bemidji, Minnesota, and provide a clean water bond. And so if anyone's heard of Nuveen, they likely know us for municipal bonds and our community involvement in that way. We actually are an asset management firm that has retail distribution. And so what that means, a retail distribution, is that we sell our investments to regular old people, um, not old people, young people, all types of people, but um, anyone that works with advisors such as yourself can access Nuveen's investments. And so um, the affiliation there uh, with TIAA is their parent company. There was an acquisition about six years ago where TIAA, who many people know if you're a teacher or someone in that private or public type sector, a nurse, a firefighter with a 403B, you may be familiar with TIAA. They've got some great investments, but they had no way to distribute it to people who were outside of that scope, those types of employees. And so we came together in a partnership as they own us, and we now distribute their funds, bringing them to the street. And so with that um, distribution efforts, we're now able to bring the expertise of TIAA to everybody. And one of those expertise happens to be responsible investing. And I can get a little bit more into that um, as this conversation develops, but that's where really the deep heritage and expertise comes in this sort of space. I think that's actually a great segue into um, a bunch of words that people have probably heard before. One being responsible investing, one being ESG, environmental, social government governance. There's, um, what are some of the other ones? There's all sorts of buzzwords. There's green investing, so let's talk about, obviously, there's multiple definitions, and we'll all kind of kind of chime into the conversation here. But can you give us a little bit of an overview, just if there's some mutually agreed upon uh, definitions or tenets for that type of investing, how would you describe that to somebody who's just um, you know, learning about this type of approach? Yeah, that's a great question, because it is a little bit of alphabet soup out there. Is it ESG, SRI, RI? Um, this responsible investment umbrella is basically an umbrella term that can encompass a lot of different strategies, whether it's impact, um, sustainable investing, et cetera. But the common tenants, like the thing that everything has in common is the similar goal of wanting to enhance long-term performance, manage risk, and then at the very end of the day, align with client values. So this is not just something that's nice to have. It's not a charitable thing that we're doing because we feel like we've got some extra dollars to spare on the side um, for the do good type of investing. It's it's performance-based that we want to enhance that performance. We want to manage risks that we haven't thought about traditionally in the past. So if we talk about ESG and different variations on themes, there's different screens, different fund companies have different, slightly different approaches to executing it or filtering it. Um, can you talk about some of the major pieces that tend to be um, screens or things that tend to be in or out across the board and maybe even how Nuveen looks at things in, in, in their world? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a high-level Nuveen approach and then see how that just is aligned with the industry. Um, there, 
ESG, so sometimes we get pushback. Hey, there's so many different definitions. ESG means different things to different people. And that's absolutely true. You can even see that within, and I know we're not supposed to talk politics or religion, but even with certain broad-based religions, there's different sects. You know, even if you are practicing one type in California, it may look very different if you're practicing that same religion in Alabama, let's say. And so people have different understandings of what values-based investing means and all of that. But what the commonalities that we see um, just in general is that the, the process and the methodology, it, at least from MSCI who we use, is repeatable. And so it's not saying, well, today we kind of feel like it's like this and tomorrow we kind of feel like it's that. Um, I think what's really fascinating about this is that there are KPI that we are looking at over and over again. And KPI, for those who aren't familiar, key performance indicators. So we're going to be looking at little pieces of a company, perhaps those that aren't showing up on balance sheets or in their financial statements. But we're saying, hey, this is interesting. Um, let's. Let's look at this every single time if you are a technology company or if you're a materials company. And so um, to specifically answer the question, you can get an ESG score if you're using one provider that's consistent. And so we're looking at um, parts of a company that financially matter. We want to make sure that we're not just measuring something because it feels good. It's because it has a financial implication. So whether it's on the E side, which stands for environmental impact, the S side, which is social responsibility, or the G, that's governance, your corporate governance, we're looking at those all the same um, when we're doing an ESG score. And then as far as investor demand, because that's the other side of this, this conversation is, what good is it if I'm just saying, this is ESG, swallow it. Like, this is what I made for you, Okay. So we listen to what the investors are wanting, and one of those common things is low carbon. So, for example, if you have a high ESG score, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're you have a low carbon intensity. So, um, some some hot topics that are that are asked for are low carbon, perhaps gender diversity, diversity and inclusion has been growing and growing, which has become even more popular um, in 2020. Um, but these are things that you actually have to consider uh, and you really only uncover it when you work closely with investors and survey them. Maybe I could turn it over to AJ. Are there any things that you've had special requests for from advisors or the conversations that kind of is this like core of what ESG means to people? Yeah, and I was actually just going to jump in there either way. I think it's a, it's a good talking point. The conversations that I have with a lot of different uh, clients and, and advisors is uh, the interesting thing about ESG investing today is, uh, you know, how transformative it's been. Um, you know, the way that we do ESG is a little bit different than the way somebody else may do ESG. And that's all right, because at the end of the day, it's all really driven by client demand. So, you know, as ESG grows, as ESG expands in the space, um, although, although there may be different um, ideas of what that means, there's clients that are out there demanding it. So having that ESG, you know, it may be a little opaque, but you know, it gives everybody the flexibility to uh, again go back to align their their values with their investments. And I think that's a really important aspect of ESG. So AJ, this is Dave. This um, brings up an area where I think there are a lot of misperceptions out there. And I thought if the two of you we could do just kind of a quick lightning round of some areas where 
there are some common perceptions out there. And one, you hit the nail on the head with there is really no standard. Your ESG definition is different from my ESG definition. How do you answer that? I'll start. Um, I think it's good to, to reflect upon this being something that's based in return. So we are doing this from an asset management perspective to manage the money um, in order to provide excess returns for our investors. Um, so it's almost like what does investing mean to you if you're at one manager versus another? And so that's actually kind of the, um, the secret sauce. It's almost pr- proprietary. So if you think about what Nuveen does with ESG, um, it's important to recognize that we've been doing this for over 50 years that because we've worked with teachers, endowments, and foundations for the past half a century, we are kind of attuned with our fingers on the pulse of this. And so what that means is that anyone can go out and discover this ESG score. You can buy it or you can access it through a database. What you do with that information is, is, is the important part. So um, I might be getting a little bit off, off topic here. But, no, this is good. Um, no, keep going really good information out there. And I like to get it to a school library. Okay. So I live down the road from UCLA. They have a library. You could walk right in, but just because I have access to every single book in their library, can I leave with a through an education for free? Not necessarily. It's like, you need to know how to apply all this information. And so while definitions different out there, differ out there, we have access to the information. And I think the real key component is the, the, the secret part is that how do you apply it? Because we have companies that typically are included in ESG portfolios that maybe our firm won't include. And so it's really nuanced on where you draw the line. Um, and that, I believe, takes someone who is an expert in the space that hasn't just shown up today to say, hey, we heard this was a trend and let's buy the data and create something. So it's, it's, it's even more than just having um, access to the data. So I think that having different data sets out there and different definitions, it's kind of the, the least part. It's just what is important financially to a company and how do you apply that? So would you say then with these different approaches, there are approaches where you're taking an active approach at going after a certain type of component of the market. And then there's more of a passive screening type approach where you're filtering out. First and foremost, we are inclusionary. And so if we were to talk about the approach of Nuveen as a whole, it's inclusionary, inclusionary, inclusionary. If we ever get a request on why, like, why don't you exclude China? For example, that was the most recent request that I got is that we don't, we don't look at it through an exclusionary lens. The first thing is, and like maybe this is, you know, this is just a nice way to do it, but it's like we look at the best in class. Like not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe there is some skepticism around it with the govern, governments, just the, the, the independence of companies over there. But we can still see that, okay, there are viable investments in this space. And so if we look at those who are performing from an ESG perspective better versus their peers, those are the ones that we would want to include in. So um, I would always just like to emphasize that, that we're looking for a best-in-class inclusionary approach. So thank you. Um, 
Real quick on some of these common perceptions that, I mean, we hear them, so this might be helpful for our listeners. ESG costs a lot. True, false. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, no, we get that question. So it's not free. I'll say that. ESG is not free. Um, for example, so we use this MSCI data. There are over 200 analysts globally who are doing the research. So I mentioned China. We're not just domestic. We are looking globally for opportunities. Um, that's, that's a whole other conversation of how the E and emerging markets and international, but especially emerging markets are more susceptible to catastrophic events that are related to ESG criteria, um, whether it's changing weather patterns, if it's government corruption, something like that. So anyway, to employ a research team of 200 people who are living abroad, reading the news in the local language, watching the news in the local language, having conversations with these people and are fully embedded in that space isn't free. And so there is a cost to access this data and to create it and to capture it and to implement it. There is a cost. I wouldn't say it's expensive, um, especially if you look at the benefit that outweighs the cost, right? So we always say like cost is only an issue in absence of value. We're finding that there's an immense amount of value there. Um, I, I feel like I'm on a soapbox here, but something <laughs> to consider, and I, I just love this statistic, is that 84% of the value of the S&P 500 is an intangible asset. So it's nothing that's being quantified on a financial statement or um, in any sort of report necessarily, that's the that's like annual report. It's intangible. So it's your employee satisfaction. It's brand recognition, brand reputation. That's massive right now. How do you put a dollar amount on your reputation? When we have all this headline risk that's going on, political uncertainty, um, racial inequality, things like that that are causing riots, um, if you don't have a, a stance for that. Cool. Thanks. And then the last question on these common perceptions, it's just when, when you're an ESG investor, it means that you just aren't as diversified and therefore you've got either more risk or your portfolio won't perform as well. Talk about diversification in ESG. Yeah. And I, I think I could take that one. I, I, we get this question a lot, and it goes back to you know Margaret's uh, point on the best-in-class approach, and you know not throwing the baby out with the bathwater uh, by taking a more inclusionary approach to investing. Um, we're not cutting out entire sectors of the market. We're not cutting out entire parts of the globe. Um, so if we can take a look at comparing apples to apples in specific sectors and in specific countries, we can pick out the best ESG players in those parts. Because there are still, you know, energy is the, the first example that I always get, or first question I always get is, you know, how do you have an ESG fund that has energy in it? Um, you know, you can think of, uh, there's all different types of energy. You know, we own many clean energy funds or clean energy companies, um, you know, that, that don't necessarily have fossil fuel ownership in the ground. So uh, there are ways to get broad diversification through an ESG lens. So let me ask, uh, just to follow up there, to, to make it a bit more um, real for some of our listeners um, who don't deal with investments every day. So I think they get ESG and the concept of being socially responsible and being able to essentially vote with their investing dollars. But are there other sectors, are there, are there other industries that are always excluded. We, I always hear the, you know, gambling, I hear firearms, I hear, are, are there, are there ones that are like, you know, I know you talk about we're, we're in, you know, inclusive, but are there ones that are just completely off the table? Yeah. Um, it's all you, Margaret. Yeah. I, 
Um, I, I would say first and foremost, um, that would be just the decision of the the investment company. So your methodology. So ESG doesn't necessarily exclude any sector or industry. Everyone gets a score. It's kind of like being a student. You can be an A student. You can be an F student. You could never go to class. You still get a score. It's not ESG is not an achievement or an accolade or an award. Like you just get an ESG score. Okay. So it could be zero to 10. And then, like I said, it's up to the methodology of what you might exclude. And so that being said, even though we're first and foremost inclusionary, we do have a component in our investment that then next step excludes. So it takes out certain sectors. And so I think it's actually really interesting. And I, I love this, this concept that we call it controversial business involvement. Some might know it on the street as Finstock mm-hmm. or Vice or something like that. I'm not here to say if it's a sin or not or whatever it is. It's controversial. And so the reason why we're looking at these companies to have them not in our portfolio is because typically they have some sort of product where people can die from using it or a result of their product. And so whether it's alcohol, tobacco, firearms, these are death, death, death. Um, Here's a great example of, of controversial is we actually exclude nuclear power. And that is a great conversation starter if you really want to get deep in this in the weeds with someone at a cocktail party, you know, they could point to France and say, Hey, they're so efficient with this energy. It's working for them. Um, this is clean. This is actually very ESG in my opinion. However, at the risk of a catastrophic event, if you had um, some human error, like a Chernobyl type event and a city is obliterated because of this product, essentially it would be to be blunt, very bad for your share price. And so that's why we exclude these types of businesses. It's not because I agree or disagree with them, but if you can imagine the volatility that can come out of a catastrophic event specifically tied to their product, we don't want that. And so this all ties back and rolls up into this being a return-focused strategy. So, uh, this, and I may be premature in, in using this as a segue too, but so a lot of the folks that we work with and presume a lot of the folks that you deal with, whether it's advisors or retail investors are saying, yeah, yeah, you know, I I care about things more than just the bottom line of my 401k. And I I really do want to support those businesses that are trying to do right in the world. Um, So this strategy resonates with them. Um, So why, why would someone not do this? So let's, let's maybe talk about some of the, 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 pros and cons of this being a compelling investment strategy. What would you say to folks who are, you know, they're hanging on our every word. They're like, yep, that's all me. Put it all. I want to put all my money in ESG. What are some of the things that they need to think about um, with this type of an approach? Well, they're already ready to go. I mean, we've got something for them. (laughs) Um, But I guess we're talking about maybe the people that are, that are um, like dispelling some of the, the myths or, yeah, I mean, well, they're coming from a, they're coming from a, you know, they're they're uh, they're educated on the um, the principles of investing. They're diversified investors. They're asset allocators at a low cost. You know, they take a, you know, a calculated amount of risk for a certain expected return. They're doing all the things right, and now you're saying, wait a minute, now I can put a screen on top of that where I'm going to kind of do the same approach, but I'm going to exclude some of the bad guys, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, 
what are some of the differences between a traditional investing approach? Um, Dave mentioned earlier concentration of risk or, or less diversification. Um, kind of what's the risk and return profile of a ESG portfolio versus a traditional approach? What are the, some of the things people should think about? Yeah, and I, I think that comes down a lot to who you partner with, um, and that that ESG met- methodology that that you you know you, you fully understand because um, you know with a traditionally exclusionary approach, you do fall into that you know potentially uh, diversification trap, you know where you don't have the proper diversification that you're looking for, um, and then you know with a more broad based strategy, you know like the like the products that we have, um, you do tend to have risk return metrics that are similar to the parent index. Um, and we can do that by holding uh, a group of stocks within each sector that look, act, and feel a lot like the parent sector, uh, the whole, the entire index, um, but with an overall higher ESG score. So there are some things to consider when selecting ESG funds and who you're partnering with, I think. So, um, and stop me, Jack or Dave, if I'm, if I'm going um, too deep. Dave, do you or Jack? Do you have a question? Go ahead. Mentioned um, something for you know the type of person that might be apprehensive about this when you know taking part in developing our ESG model using Nuveen ETFs. Um, the biggest thing would really just be someone who's apprehensive on being a first actor, because um, really we do have at least three years of good data showing that ESG investing has really outperformed the market. Um, you know, something we've talked about with the exclusion of sin stocks, we see that really tobacco, gambling, firearms aren't that good of investments. Uh, there's sin stock ETFs out there. If you look at them, they don't really perform very well. But the only type of client or individual that I could see being, you know, choosing not to go this route would really be someone that's a little too apprehensive about acting before they've seen maybe 10 years or more of data on something. Um, which really doesn't happen too often. Um, but I think that's probably the only part that we've seen to be uh, something that could hold someone back. Because as we've talked about from a risk profile, the standard deviation of the models we've created, very similar. Um, overall, the expense ratios are not that much greater, especially when comparing the Nuveen funds to certain other ESG ETFs out there. Um, and then on top of that, the returns have created alpha over the time, which innately makes sense for all the, um, you know, differences with standard deviation or with expense ratios. So really it would just come down to someone being a little too wary of doing something, uh, before it's been maybe 10 years in the, in the run. But aside from that, from clients perspectives, I couldn't see too much reason, um, for someone still being too apprehensive to make that decision. Um, to some degree, at least. That makes me think of, thank you for sharing that, Jack, because it really actually makes me want to share that responsible investing is not new. Just because these strategies only have a four-year track record doesn't mean the concept isn't there. And so I just want to share with the listeners, this has been a long time coming that's developed, been developing because of demand for the past 50 years. I mean, you think about the 70s, there was activism on campuses with students um, against the Vietnam War. And then we had divesting from South Africa. Then we had concern over the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska. And we every so often have these big 
um, kind of pivotal moments where maybe the world comes together with a slight collective consciousness and says like, okay, like let's, let's adjust, like shift. Like we need to just shift a little bit. And, and we see these incremental shifts and it's been shifting for a long time. Um, one of the concerns that someone who may have already said, this is great, but I've already asked about this. And I was told that there's not enough diversification out there. Once upon a time, that was true. Uh, if you think about in the early 90s, when these investments first came to market, it was very exclusionary saying, I feel like energy and defense are the bad boys. We don't want them in here. Let's chop them out. Um, when you had that sort of approach, you would result in a large cap growth portfolio. You'd have all kind of the similar names. and You just have large cap growth. What's happened since 1990 is a ton, right? Big data has come to play. We are capturing all of these little pieces of data, nuanced information, how people are engaging with social media campaigns, what's important to them, what's driving performance. And so we've evolved from something that was very basic and well-meaning into something that's a very viable investment strategy that can be applied across large cap, mid cap, small, growth or value, bring it into the emerging market. So we have so much better data now that's being captured. Um, I just would, you know, want to ease anyone's concern that you're going to be shuffled into a clean energy portfolio of wind and solar. It's so much bigger than that. Well, that makes me think as I listen to you, when, in, when, when somebody says, look, I, I really care about the environment. I really want to make sure that the companies that I invest in aren't doing bad stuff with their employees and you know, they're not getting into any controversial areas. Okay, great. So I make this decision. This makes sense to me. Then what? How do I know that my investments are really representing my values? How, how are investors able to see that change that they wish to bring about? Or is it just such a macro change and they're such a small part of it. How do you address that? There are definitely a couple of ways to do that. Um, you know, the, the, the first of which is the, the ESG score, which is great, you know, because we can take a look at all these different data points and from a broad base, you can say that you're investing in a strategy that has an our overall higher ESG score. Um, and, you know, whether or not that's fully understood what those components are, it's still something that, uh, you know, can be uh, comparable across products. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I, I always like to take a look at, and that's important to a lot of clients, is, is the carbon score as well. Um, so by taking a look at the carbon footprint of each fund side by side, you can compare apples to apples and say that you are making a lower impact from a carbon standpoint um, that I find to be really interesting. And again, partnering with the third point is, you know, partnering with a firm like Nuveen, um, I think gives you the ability to, and we have some really great write-ups on this, um, how Nuveen takes steps uh, on behalf of its shareholders to make change within the companies that they own. Um, so by, you know, partnering with a firm like Nuveen, you can take a look at actual, uh, you know, actionable steps that Nuveen is taking. Um, and I know Margaret has a good couple of examples of, of how that's impacted, but uh, that is something that we're, we're seeing as being very important for clients. So are you active investors? In a way. So what we call it is engagement. Okay. And so from an ESG perspective, we as a firm engage with companies globally. 
Uh, for example, one of our projects of engagement a couple of years ago is that we wrote 700 letters to companies in the U.S. and Japan that had very low gender diversity on their boards. We had over a 40% response rate to that letter. So we want, it's not like a demand. It's not so much like we're activist investors, but it's called engagement. And it's a way that we can say like, hey, this is how we're thinking of the world. And I mean, I, I, I give the example of, of gender diversity on boards all the time. Um, I don't know if people kind of have realized what, what the, the, the benefits of that is. And it's, you know, traditional boards, if every single person is exactly the same, you went to the same school, played the same sport, had the same major, went to the same college. Well, you've probably had a very similar life experience to your neighbor to your left and your neighbor to the right. So when you're faced with a challenge or you're looking to innovate and you're thinking of ideas of how to grow the company, everyone submits their idea. It's probably going to be very similar. You face the same challenges and solutions. You're very homogenous. When you start incorporating different backgrounds, whether it's gender, um, ethnicity, social, SES, you have probably had different solutions to similar problems. And so you have a better pool to pick from as you problem solve, as you evolve, and as you grow. And so um, that, that's one way that um, we've engaged is for diversity on boards. And that's just the explanation on why it matters. So there is a level of investor activism when you're investing in a company. Yes, from our firm. Yeah, 100% of our assets uh, were managed along something called the UN Principles of responsible investing. And so it's something we keep in mind across everything, whether or not it's branded or by prospectus supposed to be a responsible investment. We just think that it's more information to make better decisions off of. So uh, I have a question. It's, it's a little unrelated, but um, I, I want to talk just a little bit about the mechanics of the ETFs uh, that Nuveen has created. Um, and if you tell me this is too much as Dave would say, inside baseball, let me know. But, you know, I think a lot of folks listening are familiar with what ETFs are, exchange-traded funds. They trade on a stock exchange much, much, like, much like individual shares, unlike mutual funds. Can you tell us a little bit about how Nuveen approaches um, managing the ETFs um, in terms of how often do things come and go in an ETF? Are there reconstitution points where, where, where things are reevaluated or is it an ongoing process? A little bit just about how the underlying investments are, are managed. Excuse me, I can jump in here on this one. Um, you can think of it much like a, a lot of any other ETF. You know, so we have our, our quarterly rebalance and reconstitution of the index um, that, that, that can be similar across different strategies. Um, from an MSCI research standpoint, uh, it's a little bit of full, um, the ongoing process as well as, uh, you know, an annual check-in. So these companies will be scored on at least an annual basis from an ESG perspective. Uh, but as controversies come up, those are continuously implemented into um, the methodology and the index and on, on the quarterly basis into the ETF. So it, it works just like uh, you know, many other strategies that, that clients may be so generally, it's you know there. I think you said quarterly, a kind of a quarterly rebalancing. But then, as opportunistically, if things uh, you know happen in between those, then obviously then actions would be taken. That's kind of what. At least, it, 
Right, exactly. So things will be, uh, they're, they're implemented on a quarterly basis, but at least recorded and understood uh, intra-quarter. And that's that's how that, that we'll be able to keep up on it. And the, my second part to the question is on the ESG score, we've talked about that a lot today. And uh, we've, uh, all of us here are probably familiar what MSCI means for, for those people listening who know you get extra credit. Uh, but MSCI, I believe at one point it stood for Morgan Stanley Composite Index, but they build the indices that then, you know, help determine, you know, asset class composition and so forth. Do they create the risk, the ESG score, or are you taking MSCI data and, and creating the ESG score um, yourselves at Nuveen? So MSCI creates the actual score. They're doing the research. Yep. So they, that, those are their 200 employees who are doing all that research. Um, and then, so they also make indexes, indices. So maybe if these extra credit people out there have heard of the MSCI EFA, which counts for the developed markets outside of the United States. Um, so they're creating the scores. What we do in turn are take these scores and say, all right, here's our methodology and this is where we're going to draw the line. G is complex, but um, it basically just could be distilled into three pieces. The highest ESG scoring companies in each sector. So we look at each sector versus themselves. We don't want to compare uh, a tech company to a materials company. They're two different. They have different risks. So highest ESG score, low controversy, low carbon. And that's basically how we make it up. Okay. So that's that's the secret sauce, for lack of a better term, that Nuveen adds to the mix is what do you do with the ESG score that you get um, and package that then into investment vehicles that folks like us can, can use? With a, what feels like a real common theme of low carbon, low carbon footprint across all of these indexes, which, which differs from, say, um, an approach of impact investing some investors are trying to take, which, which may be different, or as you had mentioned earlier, uh, gender inclusion and diversity and inclusion. But those are also components of the ESG score, but you're laying, you're, you're layering carbon uh, awareness on top. I think something interesting we could talk about for the listeners would be how, you know, when you look at the top 10 holdings of an ESG portfolio versus a non-ESG portfolio, you might expect them to be pretty similar since it can be heavily tech-weighted. Um, but when we do that, you know, you actually do see lots of ESG funds removing companies like Apple, Microsoft, and Facebook, um, which might be surprising to certain people that are doing the research or not to others. Um, but I just figured, you know, if y'all had any insights onto sort of reasons that some large companies that lots of people might be aware of and not think, you know, well, Microsoft isn't an oil company, but it might not be in this index. Um, why could that be? I think that's sort of a interesting thing that can sort of shock people, not in a good or bad way, but just sort of as a, oh, wow, I hadn't thought of that before type of thing. And yeah. I think those, those questions go hand in hand um, because they, they are related to the, the carbon screen. Um, you know, you can take a look at fossil fuel ownership um, that is really targeted on one sector. Um, but we'll take it one step further and we'll overlay that carbon screen across all sectors to take a look at the carbon impact that companies that may not be as fossil fuel heavy uh, still have on the environment. 
So you will see names like that that may have a high ESG score, but because the carbon footprint is still an important aspect of the overall portfolio, they may be excluded because of that carbon footprint. So help me understand that more because maybe I just turned off my brain for five seconds where you said the most important part. So if I, if, if I say, well, wait a minute, Facebook or Microsoft aren't in the ESG fund that Nuveen offers, um, is that all because of carbon footprint? What, is, what would be, as an example, what would be something that would exclude that? I, I heard carbon footprint, but I'm trying to connect what that really, is that because of, they have lots of employees that drive to work every day? Is that because of, uh, uh they're employ- employing lots of low-wage folks. I mean, what, what would that be kind of at a high level to kind of hit home for some of our listeners? So uh, I think what it comes down to, and, and without getting too granular, if you think about some of these larger companies, uh, the amount of data, and we, we've talked to touch on this a few times throughout the conversation, uh, data storage requires a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're housing mass massive amounts of data, and this requires a lot of carbon input. So uh, that is something that could potentially exclude a company compared to its peers. And I think that comes back to the, the the higher point here is that we're comparing apples to apples and peers, uh, you know, companies against their peers. So the carbon footprint compared to their peers is on average higher, may get them excluded. Um, so I think that that's an important point too as well. Thank you. That actually helped. Uh, it was almost so obvious that it didn't even occur to me. So uh, that was very helpful. Thank you. Well, I think so much of this, once you hear it, it seems pretty obvious, yeah. but there are so many questions out there. And as, as you've pointed out, ESG investing isn't new. And you've been at this for 50 years. Uh, other entrants have come in over the decades and seems like a lot are coming in now. And I guess as as I listen to you, I wonder... Where do you see this going? Um, are, 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 you know, is it going to no longer be a niche? Um, will there be more interest driven by consumers? Uh, or does ESG investing and the principles behind it become the standard such that the fundamental indexes themselves, like S&P 500, apply ESG principles? That's a great question. Uh, as AJ mentioned earlier, that this is a transformative space. And I would say the broadest answer would be that it's going to be less and less considered niche and just considered investing. Um, I don't know if it would be a component to include a company in the S&P 500, perhaps. I mean, right now it's just market cap, right? To be largest 500 companies. But as far as asset management goes, like I mentioned before, 100% of our assets are considered aligned with UN principles of responsible investing. We want to expand upon that and by the end of next year, have 100% consider ESG specifically, ESG criteria. And as I mentioned, we just think it's more information to make better decisions off of. Uh, we haven't dove deep into this in this conversation, but risk. We all need to look at risks in different ways. Maybe 2020 is the year that we're going to open our eyes to this. But if you just think about what you were worried about on January 1st, 2020, it's probably a very different list than on November 1st, 2020. Things have changed. Things have evolved in the way that we're running our day-to-day lives, whether it's the risk of um, contracting a virus 
or if it, there's a business risk if my at-home internet isn't working properly. We have new risks that we have to deal with. And so um, ESG is actually, I believe, very forward thinking. Um, we're trying to get ahead of the curve. If you think about companies that were integrating ESG into their business, whether they were calling that or not, whether it was because they wanted to provide great health care benefits or flexible work days or the ability for a parent to take their child to daycare at any given time, where it's not just this punch of clock in and out old school way of working, companies like that were resilient. They had better continuity when we were informed by the government, this is shutting down. Like, don't come to work tomorrow. You can't. If you're not an essential service worker, like, go to your desk in a corner in your house and figure it out. And so um, I'm kind of on a tangent here, but ESG really is considering factors that are becoming more and more important that we need to look outside of the tangibles and into the intangibles, which are making or breaking companies right now. Margaret, I like that. ESG is more information on which to make investing decisions. And, and I guess I wonder, maybe in the future, we just call it informed investing. Maybe that's what it is today. Well, hey, guys I and, uh, and gals, um, we're at time and I can't believe it went super fast. I think this is probably just the yeah. beginning. This is I'm glad we called it the ABCs because Maybe this we, is the one oh one. Yeah, yeah. We left the rest of the alphabet for ESG next time. One oh one we'll stop with the TLAs three <laughs> Right. Um so um Margaret, AJ, anything um that you want to leave us with? Any last thoughts before we uh sign off on the podcast? I would just like my the three takeaways for people that are listening is just to remember that ESG investing is viable. So it's totally doable for a diversified portfolio. It's valuable. You're uncovering information to make better decisions with. And it's the future. This is, you know, considering where we're going, not the old school where we've been. Excellent. Well, and I think that's why, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, we as a firm here have decided to put some resources behind this to to create that because we do also see it as the future and so do the folks that we work with every day. So we call it capitalism with a conscience. There you go. Yes. Uh, Margaret, AJ, thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate it. Um, Thank you. We, we look forward to talking to you both again in the future. And when things, when travel opens up, we'd love to welcome you here to uh, Richmond, Virginia. So maybe we can do ESG 200 level. There we go. Yeah. I mean, I, clearly there can be lots of conversations here. Uh, and again, we appreciate your time very much today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank really you. enjoyed it. Um, for all the folks on, still listening to us, don't forget to subscribe to, on our on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, or check us out on Twitter and Instagram at EvoFi Podcast. That's all for this podcast. We'll see you guys in a few weeks. Thanks so much, and take care. Bye now. The time.